Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. is the miracle of forgiveness. The miracle of forgiveness. As we get ready to enter into Jericho, our conference uh, starting tomorrow night, I thought that this morning would be good to talk about how deliverance and healing are connected to forgiveness. Amen. You know, we're, we're looking at this, this conference and we're talking about deliverance and we're talking about being healed and we're talking about all that God is going to do and moving mountains and he'll do it again and changing our lives and circumstances and, and all these things, but... I truly believe that that deliverance and that healing that we desire and that we're expecting is very uh, closely connected to forgiveness. I saw a picture of, uh, in my heart and in my mind of, of this week, God grabbing a hold of us. So imagine all of us in this room this morning, but as an individual, God coming and grabbing you and taking you to the side and, and putting you down in a chair. And then he says, hey, I want everybody else to get out of the room. Everybody get out of here right now. So there's no focus on you from other people. There's no attention of other people. And then God's sitting me down and God's sitting you down as an individual. And then he begins to show you, this is what you've been doing. This is what you've been involved in. This is how you've been uh, thinking. This is what the enemy has been doing to you. This is what the enemy has been doing through you. And then he makes this, this statement to us, to me, and then to you as an individual where he's, he's saying, listen, if you'll allow me to, say allow. allow. If you'll allow me to, I will change this. Amen. I will bring healing. I will bring transformation. I will give you a, a new way of living if you allow me to. Then I, got, I saw us talking to the Lord and us telling him, listen, if we say yes, Lord, we'll allow you to do these things in our lives. I felt like for some of us, he will immediately bring deliverance and healing right there on the spot. You're in that space where it's just you and him and there's nobody else there. He'll give you deliverance. He'll give you healing. and It'll just be a time of great joy. For others, if we say yes, he will still give us immediate deliverance from those things, but the healing may be a process. See, that's how it works when we actually get hurt a lot of times, right? You know, the, the healing or the deliverance from the pain, the deliverance from whatever it is that's, un, that's attacking us, it can be stopped, but the healing process can sometimes take a while, right? It's still tender to the touch, right? It's still sensitive if somebody brings it up or looks at some scar that you have, and that healing sometimes takes a lot of time. But that's okay if you're walking with the Lord. I'd rather be delivered and then walk with him for that healing then not be delivered and not be healed at all. So I believe that this week, some of us are going to have that, that kind of experience where having alone time with God, having being in that place of silence, but also that place of safety. I think a lot of times we forget to talk about this with Jericho, is that you're in a safe place with God. You know, God this week isn't just trying to deal with your Jericho and expose you and, and, and shine this light that, that you will be exposed to everybody around you. Our God is not like that. Our, our Savior, our Father is not like that. It's a safe place to deal with our issues. Amen. It's a safe place to deal with our, our struggles and the things that we're going through. So I believe that we'll, we'll find what we're looking for this week. 
But I also believe that uh, in this conference, God is going to also give vision and direction and hope to many of us. You know, sometimes we just look at our struggles during Jericho and, and what we're dealing with, which is a big part of it. But I feel like in my life, I feel like in some of the other lives here that God also wants to give you some kind of vision and some kind of direction. And, and not only do I want to heal you of something and deliver you of something, but it's not just for the sake of healing. It's not just for the sake of deliverance. It's because there's something else that I want you to do, something else I want you to experience, somewhere else I want you to go. Amen. So I hope we're praying for, for all these things to take place. And, and either way, I think that forgiveness is going to be a key for all the things that God wants to do. So I want to pray that over us this morning. Lord, as we look at this, uh, this message this morning, Lord, about the miracle of forgiveness, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see forgiveness the way that you see it, to experience forgiveness the way that you designed us and desire for us to experience it, Lord God. Not only that we would be delivered and that we would be healed, Lord God, but that you could give us direction and vision, Lord, that you could give us hope, Lord God, that you could give us true joy. Have your way over each and every one of us, God. Continue to speak into our lives and minister to us, Lord. Remind us that we are safe in your arms. We are safe in your presence, Lord God. That when we're silent, Lord, that there may be uh, in the physical realm so many things going on and so many people around us and so many distractions, Lord, but there is a still small voice that desires to speak to each and every one of us, Lord. There is a covering and a hedge of protection that you can put around us, Lord. We desire to enter into that spiritual realm, enter into that space that you have prepared for us, Lord. You say that you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies, Lord God. We ask that we would find ourselves sitting at that table, Lord, not just tomorrow night and for the next week, but this very morning and this afternoon and tonight, Lord, that we would find ourselves dining with you, Lord, in that place of safety, Lord, where you can tell us the truth and expose us to the things that you want us to be exposed to, Lord God. And we don't have to fear in that place, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So when we've been hurt, a seed of unforgiveness is planted into our lives, and it's planted by the enemy of our souls. Many of us have been hurt. Say amen if you've ever been hurt. So what the enemy does is that seed is planted. If you've been hurt, there's this seed that's planted of unforgiveness into your life. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat, went, and then he went his way. So the enemy comes. God is sowing all these good things into your life. And then something happens where you get hurt, and it says an enemy comes and sows tares amongst the wheat. An enemy comes in to plant something into your life, and then he takes off. While you were sleeping, most of us didn't even notice that he was there. In Luke chapter 8, verse 7, Jesus is talking about that good seed that he's planting. And he said, some of that seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. So unforgiveness is this seed that's planted by the enemy. It turns into a weed, uh, a thorn that chokes out the good things that God is trying to plant into our lives. It chokes out life. It chokes out love. It chokes out peace. It chokes out joy. And it sows this seed of bitterness, anger, strife, frustration. Any unforgiveness that we have, it also doesn't stay in the area that you would hope that it stayed in. If you've been hurt and the enemy sows a seed of unforgiveness in that area, don't think that it's only going to stay in that area or it's only going to stay in that one particular relationship. Anybody that has to deal with weeds, we understand that they grow like wildfire. They go wherever they want to go. You cannot stop them. And if you don't uproot them, they're not just going to die on their own. They begin to spread throughout your whole yard. They begin to spread throughout your whole life. That's the thing about this seed of unforgiveness. You cannot control it. Once it gets going, it goes everywhere. Things that you did not intend to suffer. Things in your life that you didn't want to get choked out, right? You see that seed of unforgiveness beginning to affect those other areas of our lives. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. 
God is trying to tell us we're in the middle of worship. We're in the middle of a message. We're in the middle of, of a Jericho conference. Whatever it is that we're doing, God's saying, listen, if you find yourself praying and you realize, man, I've got a seed of unforgiveness. I've got weeds in my life. I've got things that are choking the life out of me. He's saying, just stop and forgive. Stop and forgive. Uproot it. It's not just going to happen. You know, a lot of people don't like pulling weeds, right? Or a lot of us, when we get ready to pull the weeds, we just pull the top out and we don't really uproot it. We don't want to get our nails dirty, right? We don't want to get gloves. We don't want to have that big hole in our yard. But, but sometimes it'll be a small weed, right? And you go to pull it and the, the root is this long. God's saying, listen, there's a lot of roots of unforgiveness in our life and we have to actually uproot them. It's, a, it's an action. It's a verb. It's like, it's an aggressive thing I feel like God is trying to tell us. Amen. Dealing with unforgiveness is not something that, that is just like kind of passive and I, and I hope this feeling goes away. He's, no, he's saying, no, you recognize something that's been planted in your heart. You know it's unforgiveness. You know those roots run deep. You got to get into the dirt and uproot them. Yep. He doesn't say, I'm going to uproot it for you. What he says is, when you uproot unforgiveness and you forgive others, then I will come and I will forgive you. He's going to do something, but we have to do something. Say amen. amen. When it comes to deliverance and healing, I feel like we first have to be forgiven. So many of us want to be delivered and many of us want to be healed, but we don't want to be forgiven. And before you can be forgiven, what do you have to do? You have to recognize that there's something you need to be forgiven for and repent of it. You see that process? Like we could say, God, break this bondage. God, bring in health, bring in deliverance, give me joy. And he's like, I want to do all that. But what did you do that needs to be forgiven? How much time and effort have you spent thinking about it and repenting of it and asking for deliverance, asking for forgiveness? I can't deliver you until I forgive you. I can't heal you until I forgive you, and I can't forgive you until you've asked to be forgiven. See, the great part about forgiving others is that we realize initially how difficult it truly is to forgive someone, right? If you really spend some time to go and pull up those, those weeds of unforgiveness in your life and you start thinking about the people who have hurt you and you start thinking about the things that maybe they have done, you realize real quick, man, this is hard. It's not easy to forgive people. I say that's the great part of it is because shortly thereafter when you start repenting and asking God for forgiveness, you're like, oh, wow, this probably isn't very easy for God to do either. I should value this forgiveness. I should be honored that he would, he would consider what I've done and tell me that he forgives me. Not that he's just forgotten about it or it's not that big of a deal anymore, or the pain's not so significant anymore. No, I truly forgive you for what you've done. And when you've truly forgiven others, you can receive it in a different light when the Lord forgives you. I want to share a story, and it's a short story in the scriptures this morning. And I want to look at the miracle of forgiveness. We actually have to look at it in two different Gospels because the, the, the story itself is only given a little bit of uh, a few scriptures, a few verses dedicated to it. So the first area is in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. This story is truly the ultimate story of the miracle of forgiveness. God, from outside of our reality, from outside of the natural, supernaturally bursts burst forth with forgiveness 
into the world through Mary. The whole human experience with God is about this miracle of forgiveness. Because of this miracle of forgiveness, another thing that comes bursting forth after this miracle of forgiveness in the form of Jesus, our Savior, is what? All kinds of healing and all kinds of deliverance, right? See, the first thing God does is he deals with, I've got to get down there and forgive them. I've got to make a way for them to be forgiven. And anybody who receives that forgiveness, right, all of a sudden, what do we see when Jesus is on earth? Healing after healing after healing. Deliverance after deliverance after deliverance. See, the key to the deliverance and the key to the healing is forgiveness. It was offered to everybody. I think we could stay here and talk so much about this miracle of forgiveness. We could stay here and talk about, man, what was, what was God doing and how did his mind think of this to be able to provide it for us this way? But I want to get into the other gospel to tell a little bit more about this story. Out of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we're talking about forgiveness. It says, speaking of the same story, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So the miracle of forgiveness and everything that God is doing in our, in our world and the whole climax of the whole story is really only given to about 20 verses, <laughs> which is crazy when you think about it, in two separate gospels. Salvation comes into the world. We can always look at what God was doing. <clears throat> we can always look at what uh, the father was, was uh, planning with the son and him coming into the world. But I think this morning, what's too often overlooked is Joseph and what he was doing. I think each and every one of us can learn something important if we take our eyes just for a minute off of the Father, just for a minute off of the Son, just for a minute off of Mary, and focus our attention on Joseph. Joseph was a man just like we all are men and women here in this place. The same kind of heart and mind and challenges that we have, Joseph had. He was not equipped with a greater ability to handle difficult situations. We read through this story and we think, well, he must have been like a superman. He must have been like like extra kind or God said hey he's going to be very passive and he's going to be very like forgiving no he's just like you <laughs> and he's just like me he was not extra special or given an extra dose of anything most of us know the feeling of being lied to most of us know the feeling of being abandoned most of us know the feeling of being cheated on or being made to feel like we are clearly not enough. Most of us know that feeling. At some point in time in our lives, we've been through something that, that basically that person and the world told you, you're not good enough. <laughs> you don't have enough. You're not worthy of somebody being faithful to you. And the hardest part about it is when it happened to most of us, to the best of our ability, we were giving everything that we could at the time. We withheld nothing and we were all in and we were giving the best that we had and we still were faced with this right in your face, not enough. Joseph was engaged. He had saved himself for marriage. Then he was engaged to a woman that he thought was saving herself for marriage. And then she tries to convince him that she's the first woman in history to get pregnant without knowing a man. <laughs> she's not the first one to, to say it. Their culture was no different than ours. People were engaged, and then somebody would come up pregnant, and they'd say, 
it was an accident or something happened and every single time in all of Joseph and Mary's previous history, all the friends they knew, all the stories they had ever heard, it turned out to be a lie. She was lying. She got pregnant. <laughs> and here's Mary trying to convince Joseph that all those stories we used to talk about and hear about and all those liars, now I want to convince you, Joseph, that this time it's actually true. I didn't know a man, but yet I'm pregnant. It's never happened in history, and that's what Joseph is facing. Do not think that he's a superman. He's just like you and me, and he felt just like we would feel. Something was inside of him that he wasn't going to do what many of us would have, do, but would have done, but at a minimum, this is what he said, I'm just going to put her away secretly. So maybe even still he loved her so much that he said, listen, I still think you're a liar. I still think you're a whore. I still think you took everything that I invested into and you, you treated it like it was nothing, but I'm not going to put you out there in front of everybody. I'm just going to leave you alone. When nobody's looking, I'm going to leave you off to the side. I'm not going to blast you, but I'm going to go on with my life. And I'm going to treat you like you deserve to be treated. I'm gone. <clears throat> he was no fool. And he was not asked to behave like one, right? God didn't say, I want, you to, I want you to pretend as if what's happening isn't happening. I want you to act as if you don't care, because that's something that a lot of us have experienced too. When that happened to you, many of us pretended as if it didn't happen. Many women pretended as if they didn't know their men were doing the things that they were doing. And likewise, men pretend as if they didn't know the women were doing what they were doing. God's not saying act like a fool or act ignorant or allow yourself to be walked over. He was asked to do something even much more difficult than that. He was asked to forgive. Think about that for a second. God doesn't say act like a fool and pretend like you don't know. No, you know. It's right there in your face. Forgive. Forgive and trust God. It's such a difficult thing to do when you really think about it. <laughs> so there's three things I want to share with you this morning about this area of, of forgiveness and the miracle of forgiveness. The first is perception. Say perception. perception. Anyone know why I said when, when we've been hurt instead of when we've been wronged? See, oftentimes we have not been wronged, but we have truly been hurt. We have to come to know the difference. Being hurt is what you feel when something happens in your life. And nobody can deny that and nobody can take that from you. But being wronged is something oftentimes completely different. You can be hurt without being wronged, but most of us, every time we're hurt, we think we've been wronged. If I'm standing on the side of the road and somebody comes up to me and pushes me out of the, the road because an out-of-control car is coming and I fall and break my arm, I've been hurt, but I have not been wronged. My arm is broken and there's pain and there's healing that has to happen and I may initially be angry, why did you push me? But I really haven't been wronged, I've actually been helped. See, how we see the big picture is so important. And I think that's a good way to look at what perception means. Seeing the big picture. Getting past the feeling of being hurt and seeing more so what's really going on in your situations, what's really going on in your circumstances. For many of us, we try to do this. We try to stop and say, you know, why did this person maybe do this to me? And, and why, why am I having to feel this pain? And oftentimes, we can't find one single ounce of reason for it. There was no car coming, in our opinion. <laughs> there was no reason for them to push you, hurt you, cheat on you, lie to you, take from you. There was no reason for it, no matter how hard you try. If you're, if you're mature enough to get over the pain long enough to even think about it, oftentimes we think about it and we can't find any good reason. I think what the Lord would have us to do is even still widen your gaze. Let's go from beyond how we feel in the pain, then let's go to the person and say, is there any reason for this? And if we can't find any reason for it, let's widen our gaze more and say, Lord, is it possible 
that if I look to you, I can widen my gaze and maybe you push the person who pushed me. <laughs> maybe there's something in the spiritual realm that's not in the physical realm that I have to be able to see. If you look at Joseph's situation, it was exactly that. There was something so far beyond what he could see that he needed to see if there was going to be any hope for him, if there was going to be any future for this family. He had to look beyond everything that he could see in order to see what God was doing. So listen, whether it's true or not that you've been wronged, it is true that unforgiveness is like a physical weight or a spiritual force that weighs on you. It oppresses you as the carrier of that unforgiveness. Let me say that again. It doesn't matter if you've been wronged. It doesn't matter if there was a reason that you got pushed and that you're hurting. That does not matter. What matters is because you've been hurt, if you allow that seed of unforgiveness to be planted into your life, it is like a physical weight that is on you that you carry around everywhere with you, or it is like a spiritual presence that is oppressing you. And that's hard to carry for any of us. Everywhere you go, there's this weight of, of unforgiveness that's oppressing you, this spirit of unforgiveness that's oppressing you. There's a weight upon your shoulders that is making it harder to walk through your life. Mary had done nothing wrong, but the effect of what was going on in Mary's life, how Joseph perceived her to have done something wrong, had a real impact on him. Does that make sense? She didn't do anything wrong. She wasn't what she was thought to be, yet the actual weight on Joseph's shoulders was real. Wouldn't it be nice if, if there was no wrong and there was no actual uh, deceit in a person that the weight could not be put upon you in unforgiveness? But that's not the way it works. It really doesn't matter what people are doing, whether they were right or wrong, if they wronged you or not, that weight was still on Joseph's shoulders and that oppression was still on him and that seed of unforgiveness was still planted. Perception is powerful, but it's rarely accurate when it comes to what people have actually done to us or what we've actually done in our own lives. It's rarely accurate. We are typically too hard on others and too lenient on ourselves. <laughs> we perceive things to have happened to us, but it's rarely accurate. It's not really what you thought. It's not really what you felt. It's not really what you saw. And more often than not, you make it worse what they've done than what it really was. And when I say that we're too lenient on ourselves, when we do things, we like to minimize what we did. <laughs> It really wasn't that bad what I said. It really wasn't that bad what I did. It really wasn't that bad what I took from them. It really wasn't that bad. But when the roles are reversed, we take it to the nth degree of what people have done to us and how they've wronged us. Can you see how perception works? <laughs> For the sake of clarity, I would say that 10% of the time, people are just as evil and vindictive as you think they are. <laughs> Maybe 10% of the time. If a hundred things happened to you, only ten of them were the people as evil and vindictive as you thought. They did exactly what you thought they did, exactly how you thought they did it. And maybe 10% of the time, you're as holy and righteous as you think you are with what you did. You do a hundred things, four people and two people, and 10% of the time, only 10 times, were you really righteous and holy and doing it for the glory of God. The other 90%, something else was going on. <laughs> And of that 90% where people do stuff to us, we miss the mark in how we perceive it. Sometimes we barely miss the mark, like they were still kind of shady. But sometimes we miss it completely and they were not doing anything close to what we thought they were doing. See, Joseph thought his wife-to-be was an adulterous harlot who had no faithfulness and no commitment and no righteousness in her. Could he have been any more wrong? She was the one chosen by the creator of heaven and earth to birth the savior into the world. And this is the man that was chosen to be her husband. And look at how wrong he had it. Yet we don't consider that in our lives and how we perceive what's going on in our relationships. 
He could not have been any more wrong, yet we think we can't be any more right. See, we got to take our eyes off of what God the Father was doing and God the Son was doing and what Mary, the mother of the Savior, was doing. And really, we are Joseph in the story. We like to think as women, you're, you're Mary. And the men, we don't want to be Joseph, we want to be God. But we're not any of them. We are all Joseph. Say, I am Joseph. I'm Joseph. Praise the Lord. Let it be so. You're Joseph in the story. How many of you can be honest this morning and at least consider the fact that you're capable and probably often do have a wrong perception of the things that are being done to you? Let me ask you again. You're here with me this morning. Can you be honest and maybe consider that just like Joseph, you are capable and probably often do have a wrong perception of what people are doing to you? You think it's one way, but in reality it's not. You think that they are just as evil as evil comes, and sometimes they're holy and righteous and doing exactly what God would have them to do. I want to pray with you guys over this first area of perception. So just bow your heads for a second, close your eyes. Lord, I pray that you would help us to forgive without searching for all the facts. Lord, I believe that many of us here this morning, we do want to forgive, but we want to know exactly what was done and how it was done and so that we feel like we can properly forgive. Lord, help us to understand that when we stand in unforgiveness, the facts are out of our reach. We can't see them for what they are. We can't hear them for what they are. We can't receive them for what they are. Only after we've forgiven will you give us clarity on exactly what's been done. The only thing within our reach this morning when we stand in unforgiveness is forgiveness. Help us to reach out. Help us to lay hold of forgiveness and forgive anyone and everyone who has wronged us, Lord God. Our perception is not the reality. We just need to forgive, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord God. The pain is real. What we are enduring and the burden that we're carrying and the, the arms that have been broken, Lord, the hearts that have been damaged, Lord, that pain is real. But our perception of the cause is not accurate, Lord. Help us to forgive. Help us to forgive, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Open your eyes. So number one is about perception. Number two is perception is reality. See, the problem is not that we're unable to properly perceive our actions or the actions of people around us, right? So it'd be easy to say, okay, Lord, if my perception is wrong, a lot of times, God, help me to have an accurate perception. Somebody did something, okay, Lord, remove all of the, the inability to, to see this wrong and let me see it for exactly what it is. God didn't make you like that. Only God is like that. Think about that for a second. God is the only one who knows everything. He knows exactly what the heart was thinking, exactly what the mind was thinking, exactly why they did what they did to you, exactly why you did what you did to others. He's the only one that knows that, and he did not make us that way. We are never going to know. Think about that for a second. You are not going to know. It doesn't matter if it's Mary and Joseph, the person you're married to, or a stranger on the street, you are never going to know all the details. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that we take our perception, even though we know that it's flawed, and we make it our reality. It doesn't make any sense. If somebody told you, I'm only giving you half of the facts, and then you said, I know I only have half the facts, but I'm going to behave as if I have all the facts. That's not smart. What you should probably do is say, who has all the facts? And maybe they should tell me what to do. Amen. But what we do is we take our perception, which is built on half the facts, and we make it our reality. And that's how we act. That's how we live. That's how we treat people. 
We behave as if something partly true is completely true. We allow bitterness and defensiveness and anger into our lives as if they were justified and even as if they were the proper actions to our circumstances at hand, right? Come on, bitterness, come on, defensiveness, come on, anger, because I've got all the facts. No, you don't. You have half the facts. And you let these things into your life as if this for sure is the right response. This is definitely how I should treat that person. This is definitely how I should live because of what they've done. When you put it like this, it sounds crazy. It sounded crazy to me when I started thinking about it and praying about it. Yet it's, it's, it's normal in our behavior with people. Who knows what a defense mechanism is? Raise your hand if you have an idea of like a defense mechanism, right? <clears throat> so some of these, I have a couple, I, I looked up one and, and two of them you're very familiar with. So a skunk has a defense mechanism. What do they do when they need to defend themselves? They spray you. Is it like potpourri, like a nice, you know? No, it's like a nasty, make you want to throw up, stank, right? That's a defense mechanism. They feel like they're in danger and they just let it out. All right? Now, a possum has a defense mechanism. What is it? They play dead, right? So if they feel like they're in danger, they just lie down on the floor and they act like they're dead because they're like, look, the hunter will stop hunting me. Whatever is after me will stop trying to kill me. So they lay on the floor and play dead. I found this one. Listen to this. It's called the Iberian Peninsula, or excuse me, the Iberian Ribbed Newt, found in the Iberian Peninsula of Morocco. It says this, uh, Iberian Ribbed Newt has developed an alarming self-defense mechanism. When in danger, the newt will push its ribs through the skin, which it uses as weapons. The exposed bones are then covered with a poisonous substance which has the potential to kill its predators. <laughs> Imagine that. It sees something coming after it, it pushes its ribs through its skin, they're sharp and they use it as a weapon and then it has poison on it. You come to scratch it, you come to bite it, it hurts you and poisons you and it kills its, its assailants. <laughs> so here's the point. A defense mechanism is often temporarily at least painful for the person or the animal, but it's the proper action in certain circumstances, right? Sometimes that defense mechanism, it's painful for you, it's painful for that animal to push its ribs out of the side of itself, right? But it's the proper action. Why? Just to temporarily to protect itself from danger to protect itself from future danger. When that enemy comes against it and it sees that defense mechanism, not only is it gonna stop then, but it's also gonna say, I'm gonna think twice about attacking this thing, right? The first time something rolls up on a porcupine, right? They realize, man, I didn't know that that wasn't fur. And I'm gonna think twice about going after that porcupine again. That's what the defense mechanism is set up for and how it should be used. However, when there is only perceived danger, or when your defense mechanism are grossly overused, the individual that's using it begins to be negatively affected as well, right? So imagine if you only have perceived danger. You think something's coming to attack you, and then bam, you, your ribs come out of your skin, <laughs> and nothing showed up. Only person in pain is who? You. And you've defended yourself from nothing. Same thing with, with a skunk, right? What if it's grossly overused? There's no danger. Nobody's trying to hurt you, but you're just spraying stank all over the place, all the time. <laughs> See, the perception that you are always under attack and that you have to protect yourself from everybody all the time when that becomes your reality, what a sad existence it is. You see, God gave us defense mechanisms to use in volume, particular situations for a particular amount of time. What happens to us is 
we begin to think everybody is attacking us and everybody is trying to hurt us and everybody is a threat and we start using our defense mechanisms uncontrollably and that becomes our reality. Our perception becomes our reality. How many Christians live as if they're under attack all the time and they're not and the only people who are being hurt are themselves? Yes. Yeah. See, initially you wanted to defend yourself. Initially, you wanted to protect yourself. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday. Why? Not just so you can be defended. The whole point was to have a safe place to love, a safe place to have friendship, a safe place to have relationships, a safe place to talk about what's going on in your life. And when, you, when the enemy tried to plant seeds of unforgiveness and attack, you're just supposed to use those defense mechanisms to protect yourself for a moment so that you can go back to living in love and in joy and in relationship. But what ends up happening when all you do is use defense mechanisms all the time, right? Not only have you killed all the enemies, but you've killed all your friends. You've killed all the people that you were supposed to be in relationship with. And anytime new people who come around that, that say, well, maybe they could be a friend, they don't even want to get to you because you stink. You're spraying stuff all over the place. Your ribs are exposed and you look deformed and crazy. They see all the dead bodies around you for people who have tried to get close to you. Why? Because not everybody is against you and not everybody is trying to hurt you. That's not what defense mechanisms were built for. But when your perception becomes your reality, that's how we live. The whole point of having it is so that you can have relationship and have those relationships protected. But when we use them the way that we do, we end up alone with no relationships all based on a perception that wasn't even accurate to begin with. We smell like skunks. We've played dead so long that people think we're dead, like a possum. And our ribs have punctured our skin so many times that our skin can't even heal anymore. So we just look like something's wrong with us. See, God made us to respond with forgiveness and not defensiveness. Think about that for a second. Be honest this morning. Do you respond with defensiveness or do you respond with forgiveness? When something happens to you and you feel the pain associated with it, whether you were wronged or not, is your initial response, how can I forgive? How can I see this restored? How can I allow this to be healed? Or is your initial response, which defense mechanism am I going to use on this one? Is this a skunk one? Is this a possum one? Is this get crazy and ribs come out one? Many of us are professional defense mechanisms. <laughs> we have so many, it's crazy. But that's not how God designed us to be. Did God come down here through the virgin birth and say, I'm here to defend myself against all who have hurt me? Or did he say, I'm here to forgive all who have sinned against me? Amen. Joseph could have become a monster, right? Many of us think that if we didn't know the whole story, just the first part of it, he would have been justified to become a monster. He could have spewed venom at Mary. He could have said things that could never be taken back. He could have treated her in a way that could have exposed her to the whole town, to the whole community. And he would have been justified in our opinion. He could have become a monster to the point where even if he left her like he may have been justified to do, he could have built uh, walls up in his life that no other woman would ever have been able to penetrate. No other family relationship would ever have been able to be built because he was so damaged by what happened. But instead of that happening to his life, he entered into forgiveness. And you know what came from forgiveness? Deliverance, healing, love, joy, family, destiny, hope, purpose. <laughs> because he entered into forgiveness instead of bitterness. He didn't let that seed of unforgiveness take root in his life. I want to pray over you again. Close your eyes, bow your heads. 
Lord, don't let our perception become our reality. Lord, let us rather forgive and let us give way to actually being hurt a little, which is part of our human experience, Lord. Don't let the enemy convince us that pain is not part of this, that being hurt is not part of this, Lord God. But let us err on the side of lowering our defenses, God, rather than on the side of using them too much. Let us not be a people who use our defense mechanisms relentlessly. Let us consider that it's okay to be hurt from time to time rather than going too far with our defenses, God. Let us trust you that where we yield and where we are exposed and where we allow, even with just our perceived understanding of our situations and circumstances, where we allow ourselves to be cheated, where we allow ourselves to be hurt, where we allow ourselves to be taken advantage of, that there you will be to defend us. There you will be to protect us. There you will be to restore everything that we've lost, Lord God. Let us widen our gaze beyond our pain, beyond those that we perceive to have hurt us, Lord, and let us see into the heavenly realm where there you are as our example, as our protector, as the one who loves us and the one who loves those who have hurt us, Lord. Let us trust you. Let us understand that you see the whole picture and we can only see a portion, God. Don't let our perception become our reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can open your eyes. Praise the Lord. Last one is the reality of forgiveness. The reality of forgiveness. So we have perception. We have perception is reality and now the reality of forgiveness. In James chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What a great scripture for Jericho. What a great scripture for the reality of the church. What we perceive the church to be is not what the church is. This is what the church is. If you're sick, we need to pray. If you're happy, we need to sing psalms and worship. If you're having something going on in your body, physically, mentally, you need to call the elders and anoint and pray. We need to forgive one another. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to confess. We need to be the church. This is the reality of forgiveness and what comes through it. I believe that physical sickness, emotional and mental sickness are the fruit of living with unforgiveness. A lot of times when we get sick, when we are mentally sick, we're unfit. We don't think properly. We think everybody's against us. We think everybody is going to hurt us and that we are going to die. When we're like that, it's, it's the spirit of unforgiveness alive in our lives. And that's the fruit. No matter what, if you have unforgiveness, you are going to have some other issues in your heart. You're going to have other issues in your mind. And you're going to have other issues in your physical body. Joseph forgave Mary, even though he believed and perceived that she was living in a way that most of us would consider unforgivable. The initial activation of his defense mechanisms and the right to keep living with those defensive, uh, defenses up was legitimate, but he forgave her instead. That forgiveness, like I said earlier, it brought peace and it brought love and it brought joy into their lives. But it still just blows my mind how he could be in that house with her every day. How he could look at her and look at that baby beginning to grow. How he could be in that situation. 
What ended up happening, you know, we, we like to look at it, and of course, we know the story, and I read a portion of it, you know, the Lord came and spoke to Joseph. Hey, listen, Joseph, it's not what you think. This child is of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be the Savior of the world, right? And, and God is going to move through this. However, the reason the Spirit came and spoke to Joseph is because he was struggling as much as he was, just like we would have been. Many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but you've been struggling with something, you've been dealing with something, and for a lot of us, God has already done the same thing. He's come in and said, listen, this is good for you. It's going to be okay. I'm going to use this. Things are going to change. It's not what you think it is. But we don't just immediately flip the switch and forgive. It's still very hard. For Joseph, his forgiveness like I said, ushered in this healing. The healing ushered in a new perception and the new perception ushered in a new reality. That was the progression. He had to forgive first. He had to say, I don't really see it for what it is. If she's lying, if she's telling the truth, if it's half truth or whole truth, God, I just forgive. Does that make sense? Think about that for a second. She didn't even do anything wrong, but Joseph still had to forgive because it was about him and God. It's not a three-way situation that you're going through with whoever wronged you and you and God. It's just you and God. (laughs) She didn't do anything wrong, but the right response was still forgiveness for Joseph. So once we forgive, no matter what the situation or circumstance is, after that forgiveness, what's ushered in is deliverance from the bondage and deliverance from the weight, you know? He initially forgave, and then that weight of like, I love her, but I hate her. It sounds crazy, but I'm going to assume that I'm not the only one who's ever been there. Joseph, every day, was looking at her like, I love her, but I hate her. Every day, he was looking at her like, one minute, he'd be like, oh, I love her. I got to do something for her. She's pregnant. And the next minute, he was thinking like evil thoughts about what he really wished would happen. See, but when he forgave, all that is lifted off of him. All that is lifted off of him. And then that process of healing begins to be ushered in. Once that process of healing, then he can have a new perception. Then all of a sudden he could say, well, maybe this is God. And look at these miracles that are happening. And look at, look at God spoke to her and he spoke to me. And then, man, her aunt is pregnant with, with uh, or excuse me, her cousin is pregnant and, and John is going to be born. And all these miracles are happening. He's perceiving things differently all of a sudden. And then there's a new reality. Man. God chose me to be married to the woman who is bringing the Savior into the world, and I, as the man, get to protect them. And when they say, let's go back to Nazareth, God is speaking to me now and saying, no, let's go to Egypt so he can be safe. And then I'll tell you, Joseph, when to lead your family back to where they need to be. That new reality gets ushered in. Forgiveness, new perception after healing, and then a new reality. Many of us, man, you want a new reality? Forgive. Forgive and be delivered. Forgive and be healed. Forgive and get a new perception on who people really are around you and what they're really trying to do in your lives and in your friendships. Put your defense mechanisms away for a while. I thought about it uh, during worship that I could see Jesus up here and him saying to this group of people, hey, listen, who will come with me and put our defense mechanisms away completely. And I thought, like, how, how many of us would answer that? Like, he's just telling us, listen, we're going to get hurt. And people are going to do us wrong. They're going to nail me to a cross. I'm not telling you that you're not going to get hurt, but Jesus would say, for a season even, could you just put them away altogether? I promise you, you won't die. I promise you, you will not die. You'll be hurt, but you'll begin to see the power of forgiveness when you put away your defenses. So listen carefully. It's the last thing I want to share with you this morning. It may sound this way, but it's not your forgiveness of others that I've truly been talking about this morning. I know that that's what the picture looks like, and we're talking about Mary and Joseph and our defense mechanisms, but really when God put this message on my heart, he was talking to me about us receiving forgiveness from God 
for our lives. It's not about me being able to do it with you, you being able to do it with me. That is, is important. But what God is really trying to say to us is, listen, you need to receive this kind of forgiveness from me for everything you've ever done in your life, for what you are involved in right now in your Jericho. I just want to forgive you. I'm trying to forgive you. And I want you to receive it. Whoever you think you are, I think this is a perception a lot of us have, is that we have done so many things and we continue to do so many things that God has his defense mechanisms up against us. We don't deserve to be in his presence, so we picture him as God sometimes. It's like, <laughs> no, 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 you've, you've got me too many times with that one. We've talked about this and you keep cheating on me. You keep telling me you're not going to do this and you do it again. And we picture God as having his defense mechanisms up and he's like, no, 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 that's not how I am. I already know you and I love you. My, I see everything. My perception of you is not who you think you are. It's not who people have told you that you are. And it's not even the actions that you are involved in. That is not how I see you. I have more vision than you could ever imagine and I just want to love you. I just want to forgive you. I just want you to walk with me. I just want you to sit with me in silence. I just want you to know the deliverance that comes from accepting my forgiveness. He says, I'll show you who you really are and I'll show you more of who I really am. Let's start there. You know, you don't have to rush out of this place and call everybody and I forgive you. What you do need to do is rush out of this place and say, Lord, show me how to be forgiven. Let me really see you and let me really see myself. Show me how to be forgiven. This is the one thing we need, humility. Humility is the greatest weapon against perception. When something happens to you, it is the opposite of humility. It is our pride that says we deserve better we have to protect ourselves. We have to put our defense mechanisms up. If we exercise humility, what will end up happening to us is we will say, you know what? I actually deserve worse than what's happened to me. We get angry when people say something to us. If it's not true in our relationship with him, with, with him or her, but it could be very well true in our relationship with somebody else. But we're angry because I don't treat you like that. I treat him like that. I treat her like that. But I don't treat you like that, so you don't call me selfish. <laughs> See, but if you have humility, what you'll say is, man, I don't really treat you that way, but that's who I actually am in a lot of ways. There's no reason for me to defend myself from you. It could have come from these other people, and it would have been true. See, humility allows you to do that. Humility allows you to say, you know what? Actually, if you only knew the half of it, <laughs> if you only knew what I wanted to do, and I only went as far as I did because that's what I thought I could get away with. Humility is a wonderful thing. <laughs> it allows you, instead of looking to defend yourself, it allows you to say, you know what? That's true, and it's more true than I care to acknowledge, but Lord, forgive me. Right? Lord, forgive me for that. It brings you to the feet of the throne to say, Lord, forgive me. And it helps you to forgive other people. Let's stop defending ourselves. Let's ask for forgiveness. Let's be forgiven. Let's give forgiveness. Let's put our defense mechanisms down. Let's take a couple scars, let's take a couple wounds. And I promise you, you'll experience healing. You'll experience. Uh, deliverance, you'll have a new perception on life, you'll have a new reality, it'll be a wonderful, wonderful thing, and then you'll have real relationships. You'll never be alone again. You won't be isolated, you won't look like a freak with your ribs popping out. You won't look like a dead skunk that people don't want to come, or excuse me, a dead possum that people don't want to come around, and you won't smell like a skunk either. All from humility, all from forgiveness. Being forgiven and then extending forgiveness. Let's pray. Isaiah, can you come and play? 
We're just going to play. I'm just going to pray. And then uh, we're going to receive communion this morning. Here's the great thing. When it, when it talks about if you're at the altar and you're praying, um, that idea of, of going and, and forgiving those that you, you have that seed of unforgiveness, what the Lord is saying is, you know, you're a Christian. <laughs> you're supposed to be like me. There's no unforgiveness in me. How could you come and receive communion and have that seed, that root, that weed in your life, that thorn in your life? Go deal with that. Uproot that. And then come have communion with me that my spirit can just flow through you. <clears throat> Communion's a wonderful, wonderful time. But to be able to enter into it, <laughs> you've got to be a Christian. The Bible talks about uh, don't profane it. Don't don't make it, uh, uh, don't receive communion in vain. This, this idea of don't pretend as if you're a Christian if you're not. Today we've been talking about perception and reality. A lot of people perceive Christianity to be something that it's not. Christianity is the faith in Jesus Christ that when you repent of your sins, you can be forgiven of them. That a sacrifice and an atonement has been made that it's not about forgetting, it's not about sweeping anything under the rug, that God has made a way for us to be forgiven for everything that we've ever done, everything that we ever will do. And all we have to do is repent, is recognize that we have done things that need to be paid for, that need to be dealt with. If you're here and you've never repented, you've never really allowed true Christianity to take hold. You never decided that you want to put your faith in Jesus. This is an ongoing walk, but the decision is always made in a moment, right? Today you could say, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to repent. I want to be forgiven of my sins, but then you're going to have to walk this out for the rest of your life. But the decision's made in a moment. Anybody here never done that, but you want to this morning? Put my faith in Jesus. Ask him to forgive me. Hallelujah. (laughs) And begin to really walk it out. Not in, not in theory, but in reality. Just raise your hand, anybody? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. For the rest of us, you've already repented. You consider yourself a Christian this morning. You know that he died on the cross for you, not just for mankind, but for you. You felt that, that it's real and it's been confirmed. But there's another area of your life Maybe there's one, maybe there's two or three. Maybe there's a lot of areas in your life where you feel like your soul is, is, is in good hands and it's with Jesus and you're going to go into heaven. But you know there's a lot of things that you just need forgiveness for. There's a lot of things that you're carrying around. There's, there's maybe the, the seed of unforgiveness is, is, is growing like crazy in a lot of areas of your life. I'd ask that before you receive communion, would you come to the altar? And I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask Miss Peaches if she would pray with me. <clears throat> I'm going to ask Carmelo if you would pray with us. Anybody who needs forgiveness, before we even get to the park and start walking around right now, let this be the time where God bestows his forgiveness upon you. It's not about you and other people. It's just about, man, Lord, (laughs) you don't have your defense mechanisms up against me. You're not trying to keep me far away. You don't want to put these things in my face. You just want to embrace me. You just want to forgive me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the rest of you, you can worship, you can pray, or you can go directly over and have your communion. For those of you that are at the altar, you can have your communion. As soon as uh, one of us or, or multiple of us pray for you, you're free to do whatever you'd like to do. Lord, we thank you this morning for the miracle of forgiveness. We thank you that you sent your son to provide ultimate forgiveness for sin, that we could enter into relationship with you, Lord God and be ushered in through the gates into heaven to be in your presence always and for all eternity, God. We need that ongoing forgiveness on a daily basis, Lord. We want to have that intimacy with you, Lord God. We want to be conformed into your image, not the image of somebody who has been uh, uh, using our defense mechanism so much, Lord God, that we've been deformed, that we don't even look like humans, and we definitely don't look like you, Lord God. Remove all those things from our life. 
Let us receive forgiveness and let us extend forgiveness that we can be further transformed into your image, that we can be in your presence, that we can have peace, bring healing into your sons and daughters here at this altar this morning, God. Bring deliverance of these things that are weighing down upon them and this spirit of unforgiveness that is oppressing them, Lord God. We pray that you would break those bonds. And bring liberality, bring freedom, bring joy, Lord. I ask that we would see this in the fruit of friendship. I ask that you would bring people into our lives, Lord God, that can get past those defenses, Lord, and enter into real fellowship, real love, Lord God, real friendship, real hope. Let there just be an outpouring, Lord, and a bursting forth the same way that when you came into the world, Lord God, when you died and you forgave every single one of us, Lord, what burst forth was forgiveness. What burst forth was healing. What burst forth was deliverance, Lord God. People became able to have real communion and real fellowship, Lord. That's what we want to see here in this place, God. Let our friendships flourish. Let us give each other the benefit of the doubt. Let us be quick to forgive, Lord God. Sometimes when we know that something is wrong, Lord, let us speak about it and, and, and have forgiveness that's communicated, Lord God. At other times, let it just be something that we do in our hearts, something that we do between you and ourselves, Lord God. And let us just see the fruit of it, Lord. Everywhere that we go, Lord. Everywhere that we go, have your way. We love you and we thank you. We thank you that your body was broken for us. We thank you that your blood was shed for us, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you count us worthy to have communion with you, Lord. You said to do this in remembrance of you and what you've done for us, Lord. Have your way. Take care of your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me Jesus, you made a way For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.